If you have God's word, take it and turn with me to Acts, the second chapter. And as you're turning to Acts chapter 2, please take your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Acts chapter 2 and then Mark chapter 14. The legendary coach, Vince Lombardi, the rough coach of the Green Bay Packers, a rugged man, the winner of the first and second Super Bowl, one of the greatest coaches of uh, one of what I believe the greatest game that can be played, football, one of the greatest coaches, Vince Lombardi. He was looking out over his Super Bowl winning Green Bay Packers and he began to watch them play and they were just going through the motions and and he shuffled his feet over to where all the team was. He said, team, meet me in the locker room in five. I've got the greatest message you've ever heard. Meet me in five. These big, burly men, they, they ran to the locker room. And you guys, you know the smell of a locker room. It's, what can you describe it as? It's just that smell. And here's all these big, burly guys, and they've just been working out, out in the heat. Lombardi shuffles his feet in, and he climbs up on a a little staircase. And he said, guys, I've been watching you. You're missing blocks. You're dropping the ball. You're off your game. He says, so today I'm going to give you the greatest pep talk you've ever got. He picked up a football and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. One of those big burly linemen raised his hand and said, coach, can you go over that one again? (laughs) Through this series of followers, we have gone back to the basics. So often we get so caught up in catching passes and running routes that we forget the basics. As I look at the church of Jesus Christ in our country today, I I believe that so many churches, they're trying to be cute and fancy and cool, and they're forgetting the basics, the basics of the gospel. And church, through this followers series, we've been holding up the Bible and saying, this is the Bible, this is God's holy word, and we are to follow after it. And so this followers series, we've, we've looked at worship. We've gone to the basics and we've talked about prayer. We've talked about evangelism and discipleship. We, we broke down the Lord's Supper and we broke down the baptism. And today we come to, I know you've been waiting for these two sermons. We're going to be talking about giving. I can hear the collective groan when I talk about giving. Oh, here we go. Giving must be down in the church. We must not be doing well as a church. Actually, we're doing quite well at Aloma Church. We're in a great place financially. But this week and next week, we're going to talk about giving. I probably shouldn't have told you we're talking about it next week because it might just be me and the budget team here next week. (laughs) 
But one thing you need to know about me is that I don't shy away from speaking on this topic of giving. It's not an easy subject to preach on, and I know it's not an easy subject to listen to, but when I open God's Word, I find the subject over and over and over again. And here at Aloma Church, we, we don't browbeat. Uh, if you're a visitor or a guest, we, we welcome you here, and, and, but you need to know that we, we talk about giving, not every Sunday, but we do talk about it because when you open God's Word, you find it there. And we are a church that believes and finds its foundation upon God's word. And we want to speak on God's word. Now, one thing you're going to learn about me as well, though, is I'm not going to browbeat you. I'm not going to trick you or, or make you feel bad for not giving. The, the, that's between you and the Lord. So this week, we're going to be looking at the heart of giving. We're not going to be talking about actual giving yet. We're, we're going to talk about the blessing. You see, here's, here's what I've come to realize in the Christian walk. God doesn't need our money, does he? God is a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hill. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need your money. But the reason why we're told to give is because so that God can bless. You see, a cheerful giver, one who gives freely, is one who is blessed by God. And I'm looking at many people, and your, your spiritual gift is giving. And, and you give, and you can say, and you can affirm, Pastor, what you just said, that is true. That is right. I have experienced it in my life. The more I give, the more God brings blessings upon my life. Now, I know that some of us are turned off when, by churches. We've been turned off in churches in the past because all you hear is give, 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 give. You're not going to hear that here, but you will hear messages on giving. But today, we're going to be talking about the attitude, the heart. I, I, I truly believe that the, one of the reasons why we don't give is because we have the wrong heart. We have the wrong attitude. We approach it in the wrong fashion. Next week, we'll be talking about the blessings. The blessing that God brings on those who do give. I won't be using this as a platform to guilt anyone into doing something. If I can talk you into something, somebody can talk you out of it. But the Spirit of God will lead you to do what is right. As I read the Bible, I find over and over again a reoccurring theme that's found there. My studies, I've learned this about giving. Giving is not something we do, it's something that we are. Giving is something that we is not something that we do, but it's something that we are. We have some reason in church we've made giving an action, but as I read God's word, it's a lifestyle. Giving is a heartbeat, it's a passion, it's a way of life for the believer, the follower of Christ. So let's see this attitude in the followers of Jesus, Acts chapter 2, and look at verse 44. The Bible says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. You see, they gave out of a spiritual unity. There in verse 44, it says they were together, they had all things in common. The, the emphasis here when they were giving was their spiritual togetherness, their, their unity. And here at Aloma Church, we champion our unity. One of the marks of Aloma Church is that we are unified. I have never seen a group this size of a church that comes together and is unified around the gospel the way we are here at Aloma Church. And I say that is only by the power and the grace of the Spirit of God. But they were together and they gave together. They came and they were unified together. They gave out of a spiritual unity, but they also gave to meet a practical need. Look at verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So you see the church in Acts, the followers of Christ, they gave they gave out of the, the, the overflow. They gave out of their unity. They gave in order for those who had need, who needed something. The church was there to collect it. 
But as I look at the church today, I don't see that. In fact, what I see is what is reflective of what George Barna said in a report that he has just released here recently in research. Nearly 40% of all confessing believers gave nothing to the church last year. Nearly 40% of people who claim the name of Christ gave a big fat goose egg to the causes of Christ last year. And he found that only about 20% of the church actually tithes. Now, where do we stand at Aloma Church? Well, truth be told, we have something like 55 to 60% of our membership gives. So we're above the curve. But only about 15 to 16% of our members tithe. How do we get there? Well, I believe that it has to begin first with the attitude. Before we talk about the blessings of what God does to those who tithe and those who give, and, and there is a unique blessing tied to those who give, those who tithe, those who prove and test God, and we'll see it next week. But before we get to the blessing, we can't talk about the blessing because if you're only giving in order to be blessed by God, then you're not going to be blessed by God because you're giving out of the wrong spirit. So before we start talking about the blessings, let's, let's back up a little bit and let's talk about the heart of giving. What is it that our attitude should be? And I believe the best way to do that is to look at another follower of Jesus. Mark chapter 14 talks about another follower of Christ. Her name was Mary, Mary of Bethany. And here we see an example of a giver's attitude. Mark chapter 14, and we'll begin reading in verse number three. Mark chapter 14, verse And while he, meaning Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flax, an ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good to them, but you're not going to always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Mary's example shows us the attitude of a giver, a a true giver. And number one, the first thing that we see is this attitude is a sacrificial attitude. It's a sacrificial attitude. The, The gift that Mary gave was very costly. And the reason why we know it was costly was because of the reaction of those that were around. In that house that day, you had Simon, the leper, the one who uh, Jesus at some point in his ministry healed this man of leprosy and Jesus had gone into his house. And so there you have Simon, the leper. Maybe you had his wife and children in the house and perhaps uh, we know that Mary was there. We know that the 12 disciples were there and we also know that potentially Martha and Lazarus were there as well. So you had this house full of people. And here Mary comes and she breaks open this gift. And and the Bible says, look at verses 4 and 5. Look at it. It says, there were some there who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? Look at verse 5. For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. The the word there for scolded is is uh, when a horse breathes out of his nostrils and makes that sound. 
Wow, <clears throat> that hurt. <laughs> the, the idea of scolding, scoffing. They looked down their nose at her and they said, why in the world would you do something like that? Just from their reaction, we know that, that the gift that Mary gave to Jesus, we know that it was very, very costly. They said, when you flip over to John's gospel, John identified the ringleader of the mockers as Judas Iscariot. Judas led the pack and saying, Mary, you wasted all of that money. In the New Testament, 300 denarii, that would be roughly a year's salary. A man's wage for working one day is one denarii for one day of work. So it's roughly 300 days, almost a year's salary. Let's put this in perspective of today. If you make 20, 30, $40,000 a year, that's like you taking your year's salary and you pouring that into a worshipful attitude. You make that a sacrificial gift to Jesus. That's very costly, isn't it? That's a huge sacrifice on Mary's part. Notice what Jesus said in verse 8. She has done what she could. A better translation for that, she has done what she could. That, can, that verse right there, that phrase contains two aorist verbs. And what that means to you and I is Jesus is literally saying, what she had, she gave. That's what he's saying. What this woman had, she gave. She doesn't have a stockpile and a savings account. She doesn't have a bunch of 401k. She doesn't have a whole lot of money. What she had, she gave. So we see that Mary gave everything. Mary gave a sacrifice. The, the word sacrifice is the Latin word. It means to make holy, to set apart to God. And when you and I, we take something that, that God has already given to us anyway, everything that we have, God has given to us. And so when we take this, we are simply just stewards of what God has already given to us. But when we take this that God's given and we give it to God, it's made holy. It's set apart for God and for his work. And it belongs to him, made sacred and holy. <clears throat> have you ever noticed that anything in life that's worthwhile requires a sacrifice. Anything that is worthwhile for us to do is going to require a sacrifice. If you want a godly marriage, a good marriage, it's going to require a sacrifice, sir, on your part and ma'am, on your part. If you want godly children, it's going to require a sacrifice, isn't it? To sacrifice time in the office to go to the ball game, it's going to take sacrifice. If you want a business to grow, it's going to require sacrifice. If you, if you want to be a, a student of God's word, it's going to require sacrifice of getting in God's word and allowing and meditating upon it and take sacrifice. And one thing I've noticed is this. Churches flourish when Christians begin to sacrifice. The churches that flourish, the churches that grow, the churches that grow closer to God are those churches that sacrifice when you give your best to God. You know, the Bible's full of stories of sacrifice, isn't it? Turn over in your Bible. Keep your finger there in, in Mark 14, but turn over to Genesis chapter 22. Over in Genesis 22, we meet a man by the name of Abraham. And if you know the story, God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And if you know this story, you know that the, the, the message here is not really about sacrificing Isaac at all, is it? The story that we find in Genesis 22 has nothing to do with the sacrifice of Isaac, but it has everything to do with the sacrifice of Abraham. 
at no point was God going to allow Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Abraham had to sacrifice himself. While he was walking up that mountain, while God was telling Abraham, Abraham, you go do this. God was putting Abraham through a test, through a trial, in order for Abraham to sacrifice his pride. For him to sacrifice his ego. For Abraham to sacrifice his way, his future, his hopes, his dreams. Before he ever got up to that mountain to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham had to do a lot of sacrificing in his own heart, didn't he? Abraham had to have his heart prepared to do what God told him to do. You know the story. Abraham did everything God told him to do, and he placed his son there on the altar. And look at what it says in Genesis 22, verse number 11. But the angel of the Lord called, out to, called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham answered and said, Here am I. He said, Don't you lay your hand on that boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So you see right here, this verse tells us it's not about the sacrifice of Isaac. It was about the sacrifice of Abraham. God was putting Abraham through this trial to make sure that he was going to be the man that he could bless in the future. Abraham lifted up his eyes, verse 13, and looked. And behold, before him was a ram caught in the thicket of thorns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of a son. So Abraham called the name of that place, what church? The Lord will what? Provide. The Lord will provide. He, he called this, the name of this place in Hebrew, Har Yahweh Uriah. Har Yahweh Uriah. We, Mount Moriah. Uriah Moriah. We, we get the words, the, the, the word Mount Moriah comes from this. This is the place of Mount Moriah. Uriah, we say Jehovah Jireh, God my what? Provider. Same word. Jireh, Yireh, Uriah, however you want to say it in, in English and Hebrew, it means to provide. It means God will be seen. Jehovah Jireh, God will be seen. God will show up. Here, just a few years after we find the story of Abraham, a man by the name of Solomon is told by God to build a temple. Guess where the temple was built? On Mount Uriah, Mount Moriah. The same place that Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac is the same exact place that God's house was built. And where that first sacrifice was made, that ram that was caught in the thicket, and God uh, said, Abraham, I have provided you a burnt offering, and that offering was given up to the Lord, Thousands, if not millions of sacrifices took place in that very same place on Mount Moriah where the temple stood. Now let's fast forward a little bit more. There's another sacrifice that happened on Mount Moriah. Another lamb who lost his life on Mount Moriah. Another sacrifice that was made and this happened in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There on Mount Moriah, on the backside, on the north end, on the very cusp of Mount Moriah, on the side where the place of the skull was found, Golgotha, Jesus climbed up, and there he was crucified. Remember what we said Mount Moriah means? The place where God provides, the place where God will be seen? Jesus was seen that day, and God was seen that day when Jesus was crucified. 
In fact, the Bible says that as Jesus was there on the cross and being crucified, and when he gave up his spirit, was it not a Roman centurion who looked up and said, Oh no, what have we done? We have killed. Surely this is the Son of God. On this place that God provided. So as we're we're talking about sacrifice, I I hope you understand we're not just talking about money. In order for us to get to the place to where we can be a cheerful giver, in order for us to be in the place to be a Christian giver, it first begins with sacrifice, and it begins with the sacrifice of Jesus. Do you know that you know that you know that Christ is your Savior and Lord? Have you received his sacrifice? It starts there. It starts there. You see, to be a cheerful giver, to be a person who gives the way Mary did, to be a a follower of Christ and to give, it starts, it starts with the sacrifice of Jesus. I guess you could say that if you take the whole Bible from Genesis into Revelation and you you want to come up with the theme, one word, one word to describe all the Bible, it would be that word sacrifice. That's the theme that's found throughout from Genesis all the way to Revelation, sacrifice. A sacrificial attitude. God doesn't need our money. But he wants us to sacrifice. As givers. As Christians. It's an oxymoron. To have a Christian who does not give. They don't go together. As a Christian. We look at what all God has sacrificed for us and we are called then to return and to mimic what our Father has done. And we are to sacrifice as well. A true Christian is going to be a giver. Number two, we see, not only do we see a sacrificial attitude, but we also see a servant attitude. A servant attitude. Every time we meet Mary of Bethany in Scripture, we always find her at a unique strategic place. You know where it is? Every time you see Mary of Bethany in Scripture, you know where she's always found? Always at the feet of Jesus. Every time in Scripture that we see Mary of Bethany, she's always there at the feet of Jesus. Let me give you an example. In Luke chapter 10, we find Mary of Bethany, and she's at the feet of Jesus seeking a blessing. She's there at the feet of Jesus, and this is the story in, in, in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus is, is teaching, and Mary is sitting, Mary of Bethany is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's in the kitchen working. You know the story? Remember the story? And Mary, or Martha, hollered out, Hey, Mary, get in here and help! And Jesus said, Mary, what you're doing is wise, what you're doing is right. Mary was there at the feet of Jesus receiving a blessing. When he turned through in her life, and you go just a few uh, moments later in her life, and in John chapter 11, you see that she was at the feet of Jesus for a different time. Not this time was it for a blessing. This time she had a burden. This time when, when she fell at the feet of Jesus, she had a burden. You see her, her brother Lazarus had died. And the Bible says that Jesus, in, in what seemed as if Jesus was late, Jesus wasn't late, he was right on time. Because a miracle was about to take place. But Mary and Martha, they didn't understand that. And Jesus walked into Bethany and and Mary fell down at the feet of Jesus, the Bible says. And she cried out, Lord, can't you do something? She was at his feet for a blessing. She was at his feet for a burden. And then when here in Mark chapter 14, we see Mary at the feet of Jesus giving her best. Giving everything that she had. She said, all of this that I give to you, I, I'm 
taking the posture of a servant. I'm taking the posture of a humble servant and I'm giving you the best I'm giving you because you've given me your best, I give you my best. Now, Mary could have looked at her sister Martha and said, wow, she's the pretty one. She's the extroverted one. She's the one who, who's so busy and can do so much. Look at all that Martha can do. Mary could look at her brother Lazarus and say, look at the testimony this guy's got. He was dead and now he's alive. I don't have a testimony like that. And Mary could have sucked and sulked and said, you know, I'm not gifted the way Martha is and I don't have the story that Lazarus has. I'm just gonna tuck tail and sit back here and sit in the corner and not do anything. Mary could have done that. And I see many Christians doing that. I see many Christians say, well, I don't have a powerful testimony and I'm not gifted. I don't have a passion to preach or I don't, I'm not gifted like these singers. I, I can't do anything. That's wrong. You can God has created each one of us with a unique ability to serve him with the gifts that he's given to us. And the goal of the Christian life is to find those areas in your life where you can serve God and you come back and you give God. That's what Mary did. Mary's heart was to give, was to serve, was to sacrifice. And we take this as an example. Though she may have not been like Martha, she wasn't like Lazarus, she was Mary. And God blessed her for that. So what does she do? She got her alabaster box. She opens it up and she pours the expensive perfume all over Jesus' head. And uh, Luke's gospel says that she poured it on his feet in a position of a servant. That's why Jesus says so sharply to Judas and to the others, he said, leave her alone. She's done what she's given what she had. She could have taken her money, sure, and she could have given it to the poor. She could have fed a family for a whole year with the money that she had given. And listen to me, Jesus here wasn't saying don't help the poor. We know that from the scripture that Jesus says, you go and give a cup of cold water in my name. You go and you give food to the hungry, and when you do that, you do it to me. He wasn't demoralizing that. He wasn't minimizing giving to the poor. But he's saying it's more important to worship me. It's more important to serve me. Think about it. If a family, if we were out on the, the, the rapids of a river and there was a family in an intertube and they're going off the faces of the rapids and it looks as if they're going to go and demise off of a, uh, a waterfall and we see them going down this way and it's a destruction way and they know we know they're about to lose their life, are you going to jump into that water and swim over to them and say, hey, here's a sandwich. Fill their belly before they die. How ludicrous. How ludicrous. What are you going to do? You're going to jump in the water and you're going to grab a hold of that boat. You're going to bring him to safety. You're going to yell at him. Hey, you're going the wrong way. Hey, salvation is this way. And then when they're saved, you feed them. Listen to me. The gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. That's not the gospel. That's a product of the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. That's the gospel. James said, I have faith. You have faith. 
I have received the gospel. Now that we have received the gospel, now that we have faith, now go and do good works. That's when feeding and clothing and giving water comes in. It's all about the gospel. Doing what he's called us to do. The old hymn says to rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them from the pity and sin in the grave. And that's important. That's vital. To worship Jesus, to exalt Jesus so that others may know him. And stop comparing ourselves to others. We see the sacrifice. We see the servant. Thirdly and finally, we see the selfless attitude. She took a sacrificial attitude. She took an attitude of a servant. Now she has taken a selfless attitude. Mary poured out her gift and she let her hair down. We read that and we just skip right over it, don't we? But in the culture of the Bible, and the culture of Christ, that was a big no-no for women to let their hair down in front of other people who were not their husband, other men that were not their husband. She simply wanted to let Jesus know how much she loved him. She didn't care about the cost and she didn't consider the criticism. But boy, was she criticized. Again, verse five says they criticized her. We said in John, John identifies the one who was the ringleader. It was Judas Iscariot. Judas led it all. He was a pious phony. He was a hypocrite. He didn't care about the poor. He didn't care about the poor at all. He said, well, look at all that you wasted. You could have given that to the poor. He didn't care about the poor. He kept the money bag. He was the treasurer. It was all about money to him. He wanted to appear sincere and spiritual, but he was a fraud. He was greedy. In fact, if you look at the the next section of Scripture, the next pericope of Scripture, verses 10 through 11, Judas leaves the house of Simon the leper in Bethany, and he goes and he sells Christ for what, church? Money. Money. For Judas, it was all about money. All about that next dollar. Can I get more money? Can I build my bank account? It's all about money. And you, we, we come to this idea, and this is where so many people get take a misunderstanding. Nowhere does Jesus demonize to be rich or to be smart with your money, to invest wisely. In fact, the Scripture teaches that constantly, to be wise, to be smart, to invest your money. But Jesus hit the nail on the head when he was talking to that rich young ruler and he said that you have to give everything. You have to give everything. Because you see, what was that rich young ruler, what, what was his heartbeat? What was, what was his motivation? What did everything, what did he go around? What was his Lord? What was his master? What was his savior? It was money, right? Because the Bible says that he walked away that day sad because he could not give up his money. And Jesus followed that and he said, it's easier for a rich man or it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wasn't saying that rich people go to hell. But what he was saying was that if you make your life about money, if all you are is about greed and getting more and more and more and more, you're no different than Judas Iscariot. You're nothing but a pious phony. You're nothing but a hypocrite. Because you see that greed and Christianity, they don't go together. Greed is a sin. Being wealthy is not a sin. Being wealthy, when you, when you give or when you receive, and the more you receive, the more you give out, the more God's going to bless you with. But what's wrong is when you're greedy. 
When Judas kissed the face of Jesus, when he kissed Jesus on the cheek, this wasn't a moment where a good man had failed. His character was already formed. Money was his Lord. The treasury bag was his savior. And he sold Jesus for just a few bucks. They said, the Bible says, verse 5, they said it was a waste. But Mary gave without pretense, didn't she? She offered her best to Jesus because she knew that Jesus was worth it. Remember this, waste is tied to worth. Waste is tied to worth. It's not wasteful if what you're giving to is worth it. It's never wasteful that when you're investing in something that is worthwhile. So you're never wasting your talent. You're never wasting your money when you're giving it to the Lord. The great missionary Jim Elliott, who lost his life trying to witness to this remote tribe. Jim Elliott, before he died, he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's good. To give like this, you have to be a believer in Christ. You have to receive that sacrifice of Christ. You have to be a follower of Jesus. And then once you do this, you do what we just heard uh, sung just a few moments ago, then you choose to worship. You choose to give. It's a choice. As a Christian, you choose to give. You choose to worship. You're not a programmed robot that's just going to go through the motions. You've been saved. You've been redeemed. Now what are you going to do? You can choose this day to Follow Christ and do what he says to do. Let me give you five principles that if you apply them to your life, I I truly believe that if you apply these five principles to your life, it'll help you to be a Christian giver, a cheerful giver. Number one, experience the joy of giving. Experience the joy of giving. Don't be grudgingly. When you give, don't let it be a burden, but a pleasure. When you give, it's not a burden, it's, it's a pleasure. Now, this is a moment where a heart change is required. As a Christian, if you see giving as a burden, then you need to get on your face before God and say, God, this is not right because you have given me so much and I'm required to give so little. God, change my heart and open my heart so that when I give, I don't see it as a burden but a blessing. That requires heart change. And I believe this is where so many Christians get caught up. Number two, give with an eternal perspective. Give with an eternal perspective. You're not concerned so much with possessions here. You, you've heard it said, you can't take it with you when you die, right? Those silly Egyptians, they, those pharaohs, they, they got all of their stuff. They built this big, massive pyramid. They buried it with them. All they were doing was shouting out to the robbers, hey, we got all this free stuff. (laughs) They thought they was going with them, but all they did was they, they fed the thieves and robbers' families. You can't take it with you. When you invest, you invest in eternity. The Bible says you don't hear this stuff is wood and hay and stubble, but when you invest in God's kingdom, you're investing in those things that last for eternity. When you give, realize from that perspective, 
that when you're giving, you're investing in eternity. Number three, model the proverb, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's biblical. Next week, we're going to talk about the blessings that are tied to giving. And there are some Christians and some pastors that, that they go too far. And they say, if you give $1,000, God's going to turn and give you $15,000. That's not biblical. We'll talk about that next week. But it is true that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Number four, remember that God owns everything. There's no real reason to cling to that bank account because just in the moment's eye, that bank account can be wiped dry. You're simply just a steward of what God has already given to you. And the amount, listen to me, the amount that God has given to you, he has made you the steward over that. Some may be one talent, some may be two talents, some may be more. But God has entrusted to you what he feels is right. And how are you handling that? How are you doing with your finances? Billy Graham said, you show me a man's checkbook, I can show you where their heart is. Remember that God owns everything. Number five, see giving as an act of worship. Make sure your motivation is not self-concern, but love for God. Mark chapter 14, verse 9 is a verse that we so often pass over when we're talking about this section of Scripture, but I want us to hit it because it talks about this act of worship. All of our songs today were geared toward worship, and the reason why is because giving is not something out of obligation. Giving is not something we do. Giving is something that we are. As a Christian, when we are a giver, it's an act of worship. During the time where we're passing the plates, it's a time for, for us to sacrifice. It's a time for us to worship and give praise to God. You say, I can't afford to give anything. You can't afford not to give something. Here in Mark chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what Mary of Bethany has done will be told in memory of her. That's powerful. When all of these disciples who were walking with Jesus and saw all of the miracles, saw the blind get sight, saw the deaf and the mute get their hearing and their speech, saw lame men get up and walk, saw a dead man get up and walk, these disciples still didn't get it, but Mary got it. And Jesus said, what she has done will be told. When the gospel is presented, when the gospel goes out, this story will be told every time. There's two things I believe that Jesus is saying here. Number one is exactly what we see. In all four gospels, the story is mentioned. There is a disputed one in Luke, but I believe it's right there and it's the same. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John all tell about the woman who came and broke the alabaster box over Jesus and anointed Jesus. Very few things in the Bible and the Gospels are found in all four Gospels, but this story is found in all four Gospels. So it has stood the test of time. 
But I believe that what Jesus was also saying was that when the gospel goes out, when the gospel is presented, it must be received in this way, sacrificially, selflessly, and with a servant heart.